Well, um, I want to talk to you tonight about the times that we're living in. And I want to talk to you about a call to prayer. Go ahead and go to Numbers chapter 13. Larry and I have kind of been piggybacking, not purposely, just by the Spirit of God, on a teaching um, from Numbers 13 that is about the Israelites uh, going into the Promised Land and their inability to go in because they didn't see right. You know what I'm saying? They had this awesome promise in front of them. God had prepared a promise and a land for them. But there were only two out of the 12 guys that went in to spy the land that saw correctly, that had the right vision for what God had planned. And so Larry's been talking about the fact that we have joined, and I keep, I keep going, using this term, that we have joined forces with Rocky Mountain Christian Center. And that is an accurate depiction of what is happening in the Spirit. When God called Larry and I to work together, it was a joining of forces, a joining of graces, okay? A joining of um, assignments. You know, we are one body. We have one enemy. It's the accuser of the brethren, okay? We are in a war, okay, with a common enemy. And our, we have brothers and sisters that are a part of other congregation, that are a part of other bodies, that are as, as strategic and as important to the plan of God for this region as we are. And it's going to take all of us to get the job done. And it's going to take all of us really recognizing our part. You know, we Larry had initiated this pastor's um, prayer time that we've, we've started in Woodland Park on Wednesday mornings. And we've got four churches now represented. It's a powerful time. It's a powerful time of us seeking the Lord's heart and of us ministering to one another and just coming together um, is an awesome thing. And it's being led by the Spirit, just like what God is doing here with Rocky Mountain. It's not something that we're in control of. It's something that we are in a, a part of, kind of like those streams that Chris and Catherine um, alluded to. There are, God is bringing streams together. He's joining forces, okay? Just like the Israelites were divided into 12 tribes, right? The body of Christ has many families. Okay, each one of those tribes was a family, right? And so we are known as the Joyland family. And God is, we're sharing kind of a base camp, if you will, with Rocky Mountain Christian Center family. And it's really important that our eyes open to what is going on in the Spirit. Because here's the other truth, is that we are also under siege. Because the enemy does not, there, there's something called the Antichrist anointing, okay? Now the Antichrist is the anti-anointing. It's the spirit of the world, it's the spirit that is on the accuser of the brethren, and it's after the anointing. And the anointing comes and is increased through the unity of the brethren. The Bible says that unity is like oil that went down Aaron's beard, right? So there is an anointing, and Larry has taught about this too, the fact that there's an anointing that comes when we come together, okay? He calls it the increase of eight. Is that what you call it, right? I've been listening. The increase of eight, it's good stuff. You know, the increase of eight, because two can put 10,000 to flight. So there's an anointing that comes when we connect at that, at that joint, at that place of connection. Power is released that cannot be established until there is a connection. It's kind of like plugging into the power source. You've got to plug in. We each have a power source. It's like a... One is like the, the plug and one is like the, the prong and you plug in and there's power that comes through that connection. Okay, The enemy hates this connection. He wants to do everything that he can to stop this connection. That's where division and strife come in because he wants to divide us so that the power is diminished or the power is absolutely cut off. 
Now, here's the challenge. All of us have issues. If you're issue-free, come up here and pray for the rest of us. Okay? How many of you know that the woman that was caught in, caught in adultery, Jesus said something extremely powerful. He said, you without sin throw the first stone, which basically meant that there was no room for accusation. That because every single person around there was a sinner, a sinner is not qualified to make an accusation against another sinner. There's only one judge. He's holy and just and perfect. See, that the nature of accusation is not the nature of God. It's the nature of the, the fallen one. Okay? Now, I love Apostle Mark. Mark Campbell, who was here. We prayed for him the other night at, at, uh, at, when we were over at Joyland. We were still over at the Nazarene Church, and Larry had been had any chance to meet with him. I had a chance to meet with him. And he's part of an apostolic network in Alaska, which, by the way, is Basil here? Basil, raise your hand if you're here tonight. Okay. Basil, I just wanted to let you know what a, I just wanted to, just uh, to encourage you, brother, about the word that you gave me a while ago about Jesus laying across the country. You remember that word? Where the foot was down in Florida and then the other foot was up in Maine and then the arm went all the way up to Alaska. Do you remember that word? Yeah. Well, Mark Campbell's from Alaska. And that, that was a, the Lord brought me back to your word as a confirmation about that connection between us and Mark Campbell. And so I wanted to encourage you with that, brother, and just continue to prophesy. You're on it. Um, but anyway, um, Mark is part of an apostolic network in Alaska where they have very simple kind of a creed for unity. He says, you know what, they don't get together, you know, to try to fellowship. Not, not that there's anything wrong with fellowship. Or try to do some kind of false unity front. He says, but they, they unify on two basic principles. One is on the absolute truth of Scripture. And the second point is that they do not entertain an accusation against the brethren. And they unify against that. You know, my husband and I, before we were married, I'm so thankful that the Lord put in our hands teaching about strife. Probably the best book I've ever read on strife. I'm going to recommend it, and I can't wait till we get a bookstore. We'll have this stuff, and you guys can run out and get it instead of having to figure it out yourself. But it's a book that Joyce Meyer wrote a long time ago. I think they've even changed the title. The original title of it was called um, Life Without Strife. I think they've changed it to something like Avoiding Conflict or something. But, but the point is, in this, in this book, it starts with a story about a man who had gotten into an argument with his wife. And the Lord had said, you need, before he went to bed that night, well, you need to go apologize and you need to make things right with your wife. But he was stubborn about it, you know, how we get, and was mad about it, and so he didn't do it. And I think, for what you know, he was sleeping on the couch. You know how that goes. So he's out sleeping on the couch, and the Lord nudges him and wakes him up about 2 o'clock in the morning and said, I just want to give you a revelation of what you just let into your house. And he opened up his spiritual eyes, and he saw this humongous demon coming into his living room, that instead of having on, instead of having on the armor of God, had on the armor of the enemy. And he had on a, a, a helmet of hatred. He had on a breastplate of unrighteousness. He had a hammer of judgment. He had a tongue that was spewing forth lies. He had feet shod for the preparation of destruction. And so it was basically the anti-Christ or the anti-anointing for every bit of the armor of God. Now, the Lord thankfully put that book in Brian and I's hands before we were married. And so we started, we were in like strife training 101. Right, Brian? And because we had this, rev I'm just telling you, God was coming against us. He was coming against the union that God had called for Brian and I to be a part of. And so we were in the midst of a strife fight. And it would attack Brian sometimes, but because we had this revelation and we had open communication, you know what, he would come to me and he'd be like, dude, I'm about to kill somebody. And what we noticed is that it literally was an external spirit that would, that would come on him and change his actual emotions. So it would be an irritable spirit. It would be a, 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 all kinds of emotional garbage 
would, would, would rise up. And Brian was just astute enough, thankfully, because we'd had some revelation on this, to just come to me, because here's the point. We had to unite against a common enemy. Because that enemy wanted to make Brian think that I'm the problem. And the enemy wanted to make me think that Brian was the problem. And he wanted us to divide against one another. Meanwhile, the enemy's eating our lunch. Rather than coming together on the same side, standing united and taking authority over the spirit of strife, taking authority over the accusation of uh, the accuser of the brethren and cutting that thing off. And we learned to do that. And I'm telling you, we would come together in prayer and instantly that thing would leave. I mean, Brian can come up here right now and tell you many stories about coming home from work or something. Couldn't you, hon? Yeah, he could. And so let me just paint the picture here that we are in the midst of a unifying move of God on this mountain. And we need to be on guard and we need to be awake and sensitive to the, 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 the Antichrist spirit and the, the opposing forces that the enemy is unleashing against us so that we are not successful. Amen? Okay? So, here's, here's a, a, just another, you know, I'm just, I'm just gonna just use Laurel for a second here. The other day, I said something, and Laurel heard it a certain way. Now, I didn't mean it that way, but it sounded that way, and I can see how she heard it, and, and it sounded that way. I really can. You know, but instead of Laurel, you know, broadcasting the issue to a thousand people and going and talking to a bunch of people about it, she just sent me a quick email and said, hey, I'm sure you didn't think, mean it this way, but I just thought I'd let you know this is the way it sounded. And opened up the door for us to have a conversation like a healthy relationship should between a family members about the situation so that we can put it to rest and open up and keep heart-to-heart communication and understand one another better. And I wanted to use that tonight as an example because it was an example of how you operate in a culture of honor. That's how you operate. The Word of God says, if you have an offense with your brother, just go to him. The Bible says it's impossible that offense won't come. We're going to irritate one another. We're going to offend each other. We're going to do things that, that are out of the flesh. I mean, the first day you walk in the Spirit perfectly, please come see me and tell me how you do it. I mean, you know what? We're, we, we all have emotions. We all have a weakness in our flesh. That's why Jesus said, pray. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know what? So we have weaknesses in our flesh. All of us do. And we all have blind sides that, that as a family we're stronger. When you go to war together and you cover one another, the point is, is that when you're advancing, you cover that blind side that that person can't see. And so when we come alongside one another in that manner, you know, it says if one falls, two is better than one because if one falls, someone's there to come and pick them up. And the Word of God says, hey, I stumbled seven times but I just got back up. So it's not that we're going to do everything perfect, and it's not that we're going to stumble, but the grace of God is sufficient, and the blood of Jesus is complete. And it is, it, it is the thing that washes us white as snow. I think that's another reason why the Lord said get white, because white has to do with holiness, it has to do with purity, and it has to do with the fa- righteousness. We are righteous by the blood of Jesus, not because we do everything right. We're righteous because Jesus made us righteous. He became sin, and we became righteous. It was a divine exchange. We didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. And the moment we think that we deserve it, that's called self-righteousness. And the moment that you think you're righteous and somebody else is not, that's judgment. And it's it's a lie. It's a total lie because the only way that any of us are righteous is through the blood of the Lamb. We will never be righteous in and of our own works. If we could have been, then Jesus wouldn't have had to go to the cross. It's a gift. It's called the gift of righteousness. And we receive it by faith, but it's not fair to receive it for yourself and then keep it from everybody else. You can't be righteous and let everybody else be unrighteous. No, we're righteous together. We're holy together. 
And when we have moments, when we have, you know, Lily, I was just I'm a, I'm telling my little girl, listen to me, you know, was tired the other night. And, you know, she had what I, we call a meltdown. Have you ever seen a four-year-old have a meltdown? Okay? It's not pretty. Right? But, guess what? I didn't stop loving her. She did not, I didn't stop, I didn't quit fellowship shipping with her. All right? I didn't banish her to, you know, another city and disown her and cut my relationship off with her because she had a moment. Because here's the reality of it. The moment that Lily had was out of character. That's not the real, the real Lily. But it doesn't give you or I permission to break bread, to quit, to break fellowship with one another. It doesn't give us permission to disconnect. We have to maintain the connection of the body of Christ. And we have to, as a, as a body, be righteous by faith. We have to be righteous and receive it as a body, as a gift. Because guess what? We're called to be this body. God has called us into relationship. Just like Brian, he called Brian and I to be married. And he called Larry and I to co-labor together. It's a call from God. The Bible says that he sets the members in the body as it pleases him. Guess what? He's the head. He gets to decide where we connect. Because guess what? He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows the grace that each of us carries and our needs that we have for one another. Hey, guess what? You know what? Moves of God are messy. You know, when they're not, they're not neat and tidy. Because you know what? He's the only one that has the wisdom to orchestrate it. We are limited. We're limited. We see in a glass darkly. We prophesy in part. And it takes all of us squinting looking in the glass, like, what do you see? Okay, what do you see? Okay, it looks like a mountain. Yeah, okay. Looks like an army. Okay. Looks like we should flank to the left. Okay. Oh, I heard somebody say flank to the left. Okay. Okay. It takes all of us collectively to be able to, to, to move forward. And it's dangerous to do it independently. It's dangerous to disconnect and to go out thinking that you've got something that is unique. And what? And I'm not saying that each of us doesn't have something unique, but it's uniquely a part of something bigger. Ooh, you better hear me. Your uniqueness is uniquely a part of something bigger. And when you branch off, you, 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 you are in danger. Okay, let me tell you some of the things that happen. Number one, see, the enemy is, is skillful. He's subtle than any beast of the field. And he doesn't come with a... He doesn't announce his arrival. All right? He's extremely subtle because he does not want you to detect that he's involved. Okay? He thinks through your mind in first person so that it seems like it's your thought. That's why the Word of God says that we have to take our thoughts captive. And the only way to judge our thoughts is against the Word of God because it's the only source of truth. How you feel doesn't matter. What you think doesn't matter. You have to judge it. Just like we have to judge prophecy, you've got to judge your thoughts. You have to judge your emotions. You have to say, is this from God? You've got to try the spirit. You've got to try this, your own spirit. <laughs> you've got to try your own thoughts. Because God can only execute his will in the earth to the extent that we are in agreement with him. And the truth is the enemy can only execute his will or his, his, his plan against us to the extent that he can get us to agree with him. He has to, he has to get us to, get, to be deceived. He has to deceive us. And let me tell you, if it was so easy to know you were be, to be, that you were deceived, then they, wouldn't, then they wouldn't call it deception. When you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived. You have no clue, which is another reason you better stay connected to a body. And you better be accountable to the people that the Lord has called you to be accountable to. Because what happens is you will get taken out. You will get taken out. We're standing in a church where the pastor got taken out. He is a fallen soldier. We live in a region where people have been taken out by the enemy. I mean, I'm talking, you know, 
media frenzy over people being taken out. We live in a war-torn zone. And God is calling a people that will unite around a common cause, which is to destroy the works of the devil, to seek, save, and recover that which is lost, to be laborers in the harvest, and to unite around a single common enemy, which is the accuser of the brethren. It's an awesome opportunity. I believe with all of my heart that this region is destined. I've, I've seen so many things. I could share with you all kinds of prophetic things God has, has done through different members and, and, and things that God has led us to do. But God has called Pike's Peak the mountain of the Lord. He has called it to be a Mount Sinai. He has called it to be a place where the presence and the glory of God is visible, as visible as that pyramid casino in Las Vegas with that light that shines up in the middle of the sky. This is God's mountain. It's called to be Mount Sinai. It's called to be a place where people come and have face-to-face encounters with God, where they climb up the mountain and get transfigured into the glory of who God created them to be and is, and is known in not only in the Spirit, but known by the other members of the body of Christ. There is an awesome call on this region. That's why there has been such mass destruction and such a plan of the enemy to destroy it. And this is an, it's a powerful thing God wants to do right here in this little old mountain. And he is joining forces. He is joining his body. Vicki had a vision a while ago when she was praying and she saw Jesus just marching all over this mountain. And as he was marching, he was saying that he, that he was going to establish himself on this mountain. He said men had tried to establish themselves, but he was going to establish himself on this mountain. Now when she said that, I just, I just recognized that, you know, when he says he's going to establish himself, it means he's going to establish his body. Because we are himself. You are, who, who, we are Jesus. We're the body of Jesus. Each one of us is a member of the body of Jesus Christ. And he is calling us to unite. He is calling us to take position. He is calling us to operate with a different spirit. The spirit of faith that Joshua and Caleb had. The spirit that said, yeah, there may be giants to overcome. Yeah, there may be division. There may be differences of doctrine. There may be people that think, you know, charismatics are, are of the devil. There may be people that think apostles no longer exist. There may be people that think I shouldn't even be teaching and preaching. There should, there are all kinds of, of, of people's opinions and beliefs. But you know what? Those are just giants. They're just giants. You know what? Giants are no big deal to God. You know, which, you know, in case you didn't notice, I was cracking up the whole time during worship tonight. And the reason I was cracking up during worship tonight, let's open our Bibles to Psalm chapter 2. I know I told you to go to Numbers, but let's go to Psalm chapter 2. And I'm going to talk to you tonight about the, 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 the role that prayer has in what God wants to do. And I want to talk to you about what Joyland's part in prayer is going to be. In Psalms chapter 2, okay, and I want, I want you to think about this from the, from the perspective of there's giants in the land. Alright? It says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder. Let us break their connections asunder and cast away their cords from us. But verse 4 says, He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Okay, and the reason I'm laughing is because the Lord is calling us to be a people of presence and to be a people of prayer. (laughs) And our position in prayer is seated in heavenly places with him. 
And you know what he's doing while he's sitting down? He's laughing. And the reason I was laughing is because when you sit in heavenly places with him and you see the giants from his perspective, you know what they were? They were little plastic little army men that couldn't even move. Like they were like, eh. Like that's the battle. And all I had to do was just, I mean, like, you know, smush them, whatever I wanted to do. They have no power. The enemy has been stripped. He's been completely stripped. But if you're not seated in heavenly places with him, it looks like a giant. Those stupid army men look like something they're not. They look like something impossible to do. But that's not the truth. That's not the truth. See, the, the plan that God has to make this mountain, the mountain of his presence, was finished before the foundation of the world. At the same time the lamb was slain, it's already been done. He's just looking for a people that will agree with him, laugh with him, and sit with him. So, as I've been praying, man, this has been such an awesome journey I've been on since God sent me here back in Brian and I and our family back in 2007, just to see what God is doing. You know, I met a family tonight that just came to, you know, had, was on the, 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 the founding floor of International House of Prayer that was on the, on the, you know, staff when they were really, really small, and they're visiting here with us tonight. We've got another family that just, you know, same, came here tonight that just said God told them just to pick up and move. Now, I'm sure there's other people here that I haven't even met. There's just two I met tonight. But I was thinking tonight when I met the couple from IHOP about the prophetic foundation of IHOP and how Mike does these teachings about all of the different prophetic things that happened that called, uh, that was, um, you know, the precursor to what God established with the prayer movement. And, you know, I, we have a story. We have a, an amazing prophetic foundation that God is laying for us. And I, we'll share it. And I'll share all of it at the right time. But you need to know that God is doing something here that is not of man. It's not of man. And our job many times is not to try to govern it. And that's not the right word. Our job is to flow with it. That's why he keeps giving us river analogies. You know? Now, so specifically, I want to talk to you tonight about a couple of different things that I feel like God is saying about this next year. We'll, we'll get more into it in the weeks counting down to the end of the year. I also want to talk to you about um, starting our prayer ministry next week on Saturdays at 5 o'clock. I said we were going to meet in the gym on your handout, but we're actually going to meet in the youth room. So that'll be a change, but it's in the same building, so you won't get lost if you go to the wrong place. But it's interesting that God gave me tonight to do this message because it's the date today is 10, I mean, it's 12, 11, 10. And the countdown has begun. It's 12, 11, 10. Now, what happens after 10? 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. What happens what we do at midnight? What do we do when you, at midnight? What do we do? And we count down, though, don't we? This year's countdown is no ordinary countdown because it's time to possess the promise. It's time for the region of Teller and El Paso counties to become the property of Jesus Christ. And it's time for the body to unite against a common enemy. There is one vision for this region with many assignments, many parts, many graces, many calls, many anointings. But God is orchestrating key connections, strategic connections, strategic relationships, and it's like a bunch of armies that have been assembled to a war zone 
and you have different commanding officers and different special forces, and you have different um, uh, people with different, you know, special abilities and training that are connecting and strategizing on how to make, how to win the war. Let's never forget, this is a war. I mean, people with, I mean, we're talking about eternal destinies of people. It's it's a 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 serious thing. It's not a great word for it. It's, it's a it's very grave, you know. So, you know, I just read some notes here. It's time to possess it. Yes, there's giants, but there's time to possess it. But here's the deal: we got to move from a numbers mentality. We got to move from a numbers thirteen and fourteen mentality where we're looking at the giants. We think of ourselves the wrong way and. You know, we've got to move from just this whole idolatry, not knowing who God is, you know, and this place where we're just, you know, ready to stone each other, you know, ready to go back to Egypt, just all that. we got to just get move out of that whole generation. Because, listen, God has a plan B. He had a plan B. And when those people did not have the right image of themselves and those people could not possess what God had ordained for them to have, he rose up another people to do it. There was a plan B. But it's time. I mean, So the point is, God's doing this with or without us. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to lose my position. And I don't want to lose my reward. And I mean, there's grace. There's, you know, but I don't want to, I don't want to have to go there. You know? And the, 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 the second piece is that you are a part of the army of God. Read, read 2 Timothy 2. You know, I, 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 I printed it out tonight in, in the NIV, and it just says, you know, you then, my son, let me just read it to you, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who are also qualified to teach others. Join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word's not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Jesus Christ with eternal glory. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Listen to this. For he cannot disown himself. He can't disown himself. We're him. He can't disown us because we're him. Keep reminding God's people of these things. That's, that's my job. That's Larry's job. We've got to keep reminding you of these things. It says, warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value. And it only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. See, that's what gossip does. That's what slander does. That's what accusation does. And then he names some people. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. This is real. People do depart from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and destroyed the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. It says in a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver but also of wood and clay. There are some for special purposes and some for common use. 
Those who clean themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. We've got to be each other's back. We've got to be each other's cover. We have to join beside one another, not to accuse, but to speak the truth in love and to humble ourselves and to be accountable to one another and to give people permission to speak into our lives and help us develop the character of God and the love of God that will draw men to Jesus. So we are soldiers. And the Word of God is full of admonishment to us on how we are to live as soldiers. I mean, yes, we're sons, but we're in the Father's business. And the Father's business is war. Never forget that. The Father's business is war. Now, it's a war from rest. It's a war from a laughing position. It's a war from, uh, that we receive the victory in. It's not a war that we fight in the flesh. Okay, It's not a war that we fight with carnal weapons. But nevertheless, it's a war for people. It's a war to release the captives. It's a war to bring back the orphans and to reconcile them to their father, which is heaven. It's a full, it's, it's a war for identity. It's a war against who God has called and created you to be. It's a war against the grace and the anointing and the uniqueness that is on your life. And it's a war that we are called to fight together. We need to be for one another because God is for us. Now, the other piece is that we've got to move from Numbers and we've got to move into Joshua. 2010, and it was, was, was like a mobilization, a year that we mobilized. But 2011, it's a time to possess the land. Larry, the angel that showed up last week was the captain of the Lord of Hosts. And it's the same angel that shows up in Joshua 2. And Joshua comes up to him and says, are you with us or are you against us? And he says, I'm with the Lord. So it depends. <laughs> it depends. Whose side are you on is what the question is. If you're on the Lord's side, I'm with you. If you're on the enemy's side, I'm against you. When we're with the plan of God, he's with us. When we're on our own plan, he's not with us. We have to yield. We have to become people and vessels that are yielded to the flow of the Holy Spirit. Because in, in Joshua, they move from murmurs and complainers to a people that are overcomers. And in Jericho, one of the first things that the Lord does after, they're being, after um, Joshua is visited by the angel of the Lord is he takes Joshua in chapter 6, he takes him up to a high place, and he tells him to see Jericho to see the king, the mighty men of valor, but see them in his hands. He says, see, I have given you Jericho. So just like the Lord was admonishing Laurel to see the future and the glory and the presence and the Lord with the work the Lord wants to do in this sanctuary, he's asking us to get into agreement with the future that he has for this region regardless of what it looks like right now, regardless of how unqualified we are right now, regardless of the character flaws that each of us carry right now. He uses imperfect people to do impossible things. And in Numbers chapter 2, Joshua saw God's plan to establish heaven on the earth. And all of us have got to begin to see this region from heaven's perspective. We need to see a united body of Christ. We need to see the, the leaders of different churches praying together. We need to see strategic connections between bodies and that spirit of independence and that spirit of division. Just the wall's falling down. The wall's got to fall down. And we need to see it. 
And we need to get an agreement with God that the king, that he is establishing his reign, his rule on this mountain through his body. He's establishing himself on this mountain. Now, listen, God's plan B (laughs) had to be invoked. But praise God for plan B. And guess what? It wasn't Joshua alone that took the city. It was an army of people. It was an army of worshipers. An army of worshipers. We've got to become an army of worshipers. We have to become an army of worshipers. Hence, thank God for Larry who makes it safe. And we've got to have a different spirit. In Numbers 14, 24, it says, Because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land that he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. So we have to have a different spirit than the rest of people who are not operating with this mindset of unity, mindsetting with one body, one vision, one word, right? One spirit, one baptism. We're one. We're one. Jesus prayed for it, and I tell you, that the Father answered his prayer. Look, this is one army, one body, one vision. We must unite against a common enemy in prayer and purpose, and we must lay aside our differences and recognize the enemy is the one who accuses the brethren. Just a, just a quote. Now listen, Joshua is a book for this season. And the other thing that's a, that is a, 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 a place to go in this season is the life of David. Because David was a man that was after God's heart. And the heart of the father is not optional. We must, you know, I said it the other day, one day when I was praying, I just said, we must swim in the heart of the father. (laughs) We must get to know the heart of the father, like scuba divers that go exploring under the water. We have to get to know him. We've got to, we, we need to be, exploring the depths of his love and exploring the unsearchable riches, the treasures that are in his heart. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the people didn't recognize it. They didn't recognize that Jesus was the heart of the Father. They're like, just show us the Father and it will suffice. But Jesus was the heart of the Father. And then the disciples didn't get how the kingdom was supposed to be established. They were still all about glory. They were all about establishing their own kingdom. They were, they were all about a, a, an earthly city rather than establishing the kingdom in people's hearts and establishing the Father's heart in people's hearts. So the heart of David is another key area for us to study. I've been feeling like as we move into this time of prayer and a prayer strategy that we have, um, I feel like there are a couple of strategic things that we want to, as a body, begin to dive into just so that we will have a common language, that we'll have a common perspective, and we will have a common foundation from which we are operating, a mind. The Bible says in Acts, that when they prayed, let's go over there, in Acts chapter um, 3, I think, 3 or 4, maybe it's 4. Pardon me, I have to cheat. Um, In Acts chapter 4, okay, it says, how many of you know that the early church was united? Okay, and in Acts, hold on, let me find where I'm looking here. Chapter four, in verse thirty-two, and it says, "And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart. What heart? The Father's heart. And of one soul. They had one mind. Neither said any of them had aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common." Now I mentioned something last week, and I, I forgot to mention it tonight before the offering. But I was mentioning last week that when you go through the store, when you go through grocery stores or you're, you're going, you know, buying things, I said, start picking up grocery cards. Start picking up gift cards to Walmart. We've got, we've got people that are opening their homes to one another. We've got people that are, are, are providing food and clothing and glasses and all kinds of things to people. And, and this heart is our heart. Our heart has to be that if one of us lacks, we all lack. If somebody needs something and we have it, it's, we should give it. There's a community that God is building here of believers. And it says, verse 33, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means with signs and wonders. 
And great grace was upon them all. It says, neither of there was any of them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made to every man according as he had need. But here's my point. They were of one heart and one soul. Now, verse 31, let's look there. In verse 31, they had a prayer meeting. And it says, and when they had prayed... The place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Now that's a prayer meeting. Okay, now that's the vision for our prayer meetings. The Lord gave me another thing tonight while I'm laughing, while I was praying, I was praying. And I was interceding. I was seeing the, the heart of God. I was seeing things from his perspective. And he gave me the name of our prayer room. It's called the prayer lounge. Okay, it's the prayer lounge at Joyland. So I'm going to say, prepared to be filled. Prepared to drink of the Spirit. All right? And come prepared to sit on your throne and laugh because you're seated with Him. So the two things I kind of want to, I want to walk through a little bit before we go tonight, just about some of the foundations of prayer. Then I want to invite you to the prayer lounge next week at 5. Okay, we'll meet over in the, the youth room, the blue room. We'll have to think about that. But um, we'll get our blue light going. It'll be great. No, I'm kidding. Um, but there's a couple books and things that I want to recommend. One is The Final Quest by Rick Joyner. We're in the process of ordering some copies of that. Um, we're working through just some book distributors and different things to try to get our bookstore up and going. Awana's also doing that among the other, all the other things she does. But... Um, we are getting our hands on copies of that. The Final Quest by Rick Joyner. Um, you can get it from Amazon. You can get it another way, but that's a book. The other, and I didn't write it on here. I got to add this. This is a living document. But I also want to recommend a book by Mike Bickle called a Man, After God's Heart. Um, here. Okay, so there's two books that we're, we're going to be focused on. One is called After God's Heart, and it's a study on the life of David. And there's different prophetic significances in this book that also kind of go along with our body. I mean, Larry can talk about that some night, about Hebron, and you know, what, really what that is. But um, uh, that's a book, that After God's Own Heart, The Final Quest, and then the book of Joshua, and then just the writings of David and the writings about the life of David. So it, that is where God has us camped right now. Because we're on assignment. Now, I want to just talk to you a little bit about the second handout, which is kind of an overview of the prayer ministry. And I want to encourage you to join us in this. You know, there's a quote that I put at the bottom of uh, the page there. It's by this bishop named Joseph Garlington. It says, nothing happens in the kingdom until something is said. How many of you know the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters, but it wasn't until God said, let there be light, that light came, all right? And then, so prayer in the prayer lounge is all about saying what God's saying. The mission is to pray and receive with enlightened eyes from a position of rest in heavenly places. The will and the preordained plan of God for Joyland Joylanders and the Pikes Peak region, oops, I said a typo, should say, so that our joy will be complete. Now, the foundation scriptures for that mission is Matthew 6.10 that says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's also John 16.24 that says, until now you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Ephesians 1, 17 through 18 says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that in or, enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you and the riches and, and glorious and, and the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Ephesians 2.6 says, God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which he predestined, planned beforehand, for us taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, 
that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. So those scriptures were Holy Spirit inspired, but they'll be where we'll be. That'll be the foundation or the position that we will take in prayer. Okay, it's not, this is not about religious activity. This is not about vain repetitions where we're just going in and, you know, working something up and taking joy in the feeling good because we prayed for 45 minutes. Like we punched the time clock. Okay, that's not what this is about. This is about receiving the mind of Christ and prophesying the will of God. This is about becoming more more prophetic. It's about us sitting down and, and receiving the visions from God, receiving the words from God. And it's about us coming together and all looking through the glass darkly so that together we can see more clearly what God is doing. Some of the prayer focuses is that you're going to cover Pastor Larry and me and our families in prayer. We need prayer. We need prayer. I need prayer. I have to function. We have to function by revelation. You know, I didn't just come up here tonight and think of all this. Okay, this is, this is what you call a download, and that's what we have to have. So cover us so that we can continue to get the download. Pray for Laurel, who continues to, 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 to keep the, the door open with worship. You know, Laurel is our, it, it, her official title, and we'll talk about all this at New Year's Eve, is called, the, 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 don't laugh, the, it's called the Presence Pastor. And again, that was a download. We had to think, look at each other and be like, what's a present pastor? <laughs> you know? But it's one that guards the presence. It's a shepherd that guards. Instead of guarding the sheep, she guards the presence. Now, some of the other things we're going to pray for is the vision for Joyland and Joylanders. And we're not just talking about the Joylanders that are here. We're talking about the people that aren't here yet. We're going to cover them. We're going to, because why? We're sitting outside of time. We're not going to pray from a position of time. We're going to pay, pray from a position that's outside of time and pray for all of the other Joylanders that are called to connect to this body and are called to connect in the right seasons and the right times and the right positions. We're going to be covering every single one of you that is a Joylander about the purpose and the call and the plan of God for your life. That you will walk in that preordained plan and that you will be all that God has called you to be. Man, that's the slogan of the army. Be all you can be. And that'll be our prayer. So that you will be the, the, the true version of yourself. And then we're going to pray also for the current and the future body of Christ. We're going to pray for churches. We're going to pray for pastors and other ministries and other bodies. We're going to pray for the body of Christ at large. We're going to pray for just not the current body of Christ, but the people that are called to be in the body of Christ. So that just covers the loss too. We're going to sit up and just open up the Lamb's Book of Life. And we're going to start covering the names of the Lamb Book of Life. And we're going to pray in the Lamb's Book of Life. And we're going to laugh and have fun while we do it. <laughs> so some key revelations to keep in mind that our joy in prayer should come from it being answered, not from the process. Okay? Prayer is not a religious activity. Jesus said in John 16, 24, that our joy is complete when we receive. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. He says Elijah was a man with like passions, meaning he was a fool like the rest of us. But he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it rained for three years. But if you go and actually look where Elijah prayed, he didn't pray anything. He said, I'm standing before God, who, before the Lord whom which I stand, it will not rain for three years. He prophesied that it would not rain. Prophetic prayer is effectual. When you sit in heavenly places and speak the word of God, the rhema of God, it comes with creative power. And there's joy 
with that. Point two, angels hearken to the voice of God's word to do his commandments. So when we pray rhema, when we pray revelatory prayers, whether it be praying in the spirit or prophetically in English, angels move. They move when we speak the revealed word of God. And then another key revelation, there is no time in God. He lives in an eternal realm. So from his perspective, this neat thing's already done. Everything that is and everything that will be is already finished. And when we get into agreement with that, and we see things the way God sees it, it's the very force that caused it to come to pass. When we see things from God's perspective, it's the that is faith. That's the very force of faith that causes his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's when we become his body because we are in agreement with the head. We can move according to what he sees and we can move together because we have a common vision. And says the goal of our prayer time is to see things from God's perspective is already finished, then agree with and imitate God by speaking those things into existence in Jesus' name. Amen? So, it is time to possess the land. The countdown has begun. So we've got you know, just a few more days left in 2010. Now, one of the things that I want you to expect as we begin this prayer, I mean, this is God's timing that we start it next Saturday. As you come to that prayer time, I want you to expect for God to reveal things to you about your life in 2011 and about what he's calling you to do, about the relationships he's calling you into, about the connections that you're supposed to make, about the role that you're supposed to play. Because I truly believe that when that clock strikes midnight on New Year's Eve, I've been seeing things in the spirit, trumpets blowing, sirens going. I've been seeing this move, this move out, this army moving forward to possess the land. And so each of us has a strategic part to play. I believe that God's going to begin to reveal to you where you're to connect at Joyland, what you're supposed to do at Joyland. You know, the Lord, you know, this is the foundation. What we're going to be doing in the prayer lounge is the foundation. There's a lot of other things that we'll be doing. But that is going to determine, really, <laughs> that all of it actually happens. You know, it's easy to sit around and criticize, well, why hasn't this happened or why hasn't this happened? Well, God has a plan, and prayer has got to be a foundation of it. So this is your invitation. Don't be shy. If you've never met anybody, this is a great way to meet people. Connect in here. And trust that God will reveal to the other places that you're connect, supposed to connect. Amen. Prayer people, go ahead, Larry. Why don't you pray for us and close us out? By the way, uh, there's two particular points of revelation. Stay here. That that I just want to. I feel like the Lord wants to illustrate, and uh, one of them has to do with the key to this being positioned. Uh, Paul Monger, are you still here? Can I borrow you for a minute, brother? If you'd come up front. Tiffany, would you come here? Stand right there. Paul, if you'd stand next to Tiffany. There are obvious differences in these guys. Paul's cute. Tiffany's cuter. <laughs> Thanks, man. If you look at the Giants and you see a discrepancy in height between them or between them and the other people, it means you're looking at them in a horizontal point of reference. If you, and, and, and you, you can imagine this. God will give you the grace to imagine it. If you were to be 50 feet or 100 feet above Paul and Tiffany and look down at them, they would look the same size. Isn't that right? 
they would look the same size. And I, I, I'm not putting you guys in a position at the end when we got to overcome. It's the, it's the perspective that you're illustrating. We have, we cannot see ourselves or the task if we stay at a horizontal level and look. We have to go up, and that's why the perspective, God who sits in the heavens, laughs. Quite frankly, if he came down to the earth and spent all his time down here, he'd probably get discouraged <laughs> because it looks so different down here. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. I appreciate letting us use you for that way. This is super important. I want to tell a little story on Mark Campbell. Mark is an extraordinary guy, and I'm really growing to love him. He has this apostolic network that Shalice talked about. He came down here from Alaska, and um, and he was down here for about a year working hard in this congregation and working hard in this community where, unfortunately, it's hard to work. And he, at the end of about a year's worth of work down here, he had a horizontal perspective and was just trying to make the pieces fit, trying to find a pastor for Rocky Mountain, trying to do something. One night, as a result of being stirred a little bit by these conversations, we met him. There was just opportunity. God was on the move. That's what it was. He got called up back to that apostolic position, looking down at this region. And what he saw was streams flowing and all the revelation that we've seen. But he saw it from a position way up high. And it changed everything for him. It changed everything for Rocky Mountain. It changed everything for us. It's what opened the door for us to come here and use this facility. Your point of reference is everything. It's everything about how you see the world. And you have to go up to see it. Right. If you stay down here, you'll be deceived. There's just no two ways about it. The other thing is, you mentioned we stand in a house where the pastor oh, was taken out. We live in a, a series of communities where pastors of national significance, international significance, have been taken out. Here's the beauty, though, of what we face now. We don't have to go back and fix anything. Because not only is God on high, He is present future. Therefore, for Pastor Meston, who pastored this church for 20, you know how long, Randy? 29 years. 29 years! And this was a house of glory. And we had a prophetic word in here when that group of pastors was praying in the gym. It was also a house of war. Well, we want to be a place of war, but not that kind of war. Not the kind of war where you fight hand-to-hand -hand and eventually your vision begins to drop and you see yourself as grasshoppers and then they see you that way. It's perspective. Therefore, we're going to be praying for these guys and these women who have struggled in this area and who have, who have uh, succumbed. And I really believe it's a little bit of the story that Mark faced. He got here, and he just kind of got in the trenches, serving and everything, and then boom, it was a different perspective. Thank God that the day has changed in its present, future, and it's from on high. So that's the part I want to, just as we pray in, in close tonight, those two illustrations. Everybody, all the enemies look the same size. They all look small if you get high enough. And second, we don't have to go back and fix anything. We just redeem it from this day forward. Amen? Let's stand. That was fantastic, Shalise. If you believe that you can, uh, if you believe that your perspective can be changed in a moment by being elevated in God, come up front now. All right. All right. Uh, I'm going to pray for the worship band that you be elevated in the name of Jesus now. Now come up and, and play that song again. Be lifted up. Be lifted up. Listen, you don't have to lift yourself up. You don't have to flap your wings. You don't have to build some kind of crane and be drawn up. Just be lifted up. Your perspective cannot be duplicated by anyone else's. I learned something interesting in the natural that's changed my life a long time ago, and it's that Every rainbow that you see, only you see, because it is the product of a refraction. Light shines from the source, like the sun. And the exact angle that it hits your eye as it passes through that thing creates a rainbow. So Shalice and I are standing this close, and we see a rainbow in the sky. 
we each see different rainbows. That's the way you are. That's how important you are in this thing. That's why you must be elevated. You must be lifted high. Because you will bring what no one else can bring. But when we do it together, the sky's the limit. Amen. Lead us out. Now, as we worship, just receive the lift that God brings. Just receive the lift. You don't need, there's no formal thing here that's got to happen. You just got to receive it. And he'll lift you up. It's just going to be an impartation and God's going to give you new eyes. So just receive those new eyes. Be lifted high. Be lifted high. For your glory be lifted high. Be lifted high. Be lifted high.